Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Player Development Project Monthly Wrap. My name is Dave Wright. Thanks for joining us. And as always, I am joined by PDP Technical Advisor, Dan Wright. How are you, mate? Really good. Thank you. How are you, mate? I'm pretty good. Looking forward to this conversation. And as always on the monthly wrap, we are going to work our way through uh, player development project content that was published on the website uh, in the last month. So we're reviewing the month of May. And uh, we had plenty of video and written content coming out in May. We're going to kick things off uh, for this particular discussion with our review of our fantastic conversation with clinical psychologist Dr. Susie Brown on understanding identity. So here's the clip. Really, I mean, again, as you're talking, I've got a list of questions in front of me, but with these ideas you're putting across, uh, tying them back to a coaching environment, I can see so many benefits. So you alluded to the fact, uh, just to go off tangent a little bit, around Mm -hmm. that peer-to-peer experience, you know, learning how to win, learning how to lose, and that sort of interaction socially. So from a coaching perspective, if you start giving players ownership, I mean, I assume this this basically means there's going to be a huge upside around ownership, potentially player-led sessions, around decision-making, and of course, how they integrate who leads. I mean, these social dynamics are now at play through play. Is that kind of where, where we're going with this? Absolutely. So it's that idea of self-organisation, right? So um, particularly if you're thinking about an academy or you're thinking about football environment, a lot of things are, for want of the better word, regimented. So mm. you attend this training session at this time, you eat this, this is, you know, and that, that's all well and good. But actually then you really met with the contrast of asking children or adults and adolescents to be self-organising, to be independent. And then people are surprised when that doesn't happen. But if you're not providing an opportunity and you're telling them what to do all the time, then are we are we really surprised that they struggle with this? It is a skill. Um, there's, a, there's a really good study that shows if you allow children to play with um, objects, so just everyday objects, um, for a few minutes, so just for free play for them to do whatever they want to do, versus children that watch an adult play with the objects, versus children that just draw, the children that were allowed to play with the objects by themselves or amongst their peers are three times more likely to be able to do something creative with that and think about it as an alternative uh, tool than the other children. So it's this ability for them to be able to take ownership, Mm. for them to be able to be accountable for their actions. Um, But you do learn all of that through play. So, you know, if we we cut that off, I think the other thing is we don't play when we don't feel safe. Mm. So, you know, if you think about animals, there is no way that you are going to prioritise playing if you're not safe. And it's the same with children, adolescents and adults. If you aren't feeling safe in your environment, you're not going to play. But we know that that has a huge impact on children's um, emotional and social capabilities. So children that play are much more emotionally and socially competent than children that don't. So Dan, a really interesting conversation with Dr. Susie Brown. It was a fantastic interview, really enjoyed it myself. Um, A great clip there. What were some of the takeaways from the broader discussion and of course the clip that we've just seen? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the best uh, masterclass discussions we've got. Um, I've actually listened to this one twice. I thought there were so many nuggets in it. Um, and when working with young players, as she was speaking, every time she was explaining one of the theories, I was thinking about a player that I've coached. Um, so she talked about um, attention seeking and attention needing players and where that comes from. She talked about attachment theory and, and the role of the coach. Um, and she talked about kind of the social dynamics of the, of the groups. It was it was a really fascinating speech. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. What was the main sort of takeaways for you? I think the identity thing is obviously key, and that's why we titled the conversation Understanding Identity and just recognizing that as young uh, footballers or young sports people, it's very easy for kids to attach their identity to the sport they do well. So whether it's football, cricket, golf, whatever it is, um, you know, it's very easy for a player to start defining themselves as I am a golfer, I am a footballer, um, as opposed to a person. And it's easy for coaches to forget that we're dealing with, with young people and children um, as opposed to that. So that was a big one, of course, in the clip that we've just seen uh, and heard there from Susie, the idea of self-organization and how uh, it sort of goes against so many of the structures that kids find themselves in, whether it's through school or whether it's through clubs. Um, and those kind of uh, micro environments that then affect the way they behave when we give them free license to go and self-organize. So again, a fascinating conversation. Highly recommend that the, uh, the viewers and listeners out there check that one out on the website under the Masterclass Discussions tab for the full conversation. Next, we're going to head over to our research review. Um, which was a really interesting and, and as Bill, uh, Bill Harper, our resident PDP professor said, somewhat of a weird research paper, which was quite nice. It certainly challenged both of us. And it was around how culture affects action and movement. What were your sort of takeaways from this one, mate? Yeah, I, I found this one quite, um, quite difficult to process. I had to read it a few times. So, so basically, I think it links into a lot of the messages that we've um, shared before through sort of Jimmy Vaughan's work mm -hmm. around um, does the culture impact Kind of how we move and, and probably how we learn to move i suppose and so they, they looked at sort of um four different areas so there's pottery making um dancing load carrying and posture mm -hmm. and it was how those people interact with their kind of culture and their society and, and how they probably move differently or how they um, find different affordances i suppose um so it, that was quite an interesting one and maybe how the, the western world is slightly different to, to the less developed world was also an interesting one and why that was um how about for you yeah, look, some of the points for me were just while I was reading it, thinking about multi-sport and uh, I guess how um, physical literacy or, or the way athletes move in particular can cross over between codes. So it might be a West Indian cricketer who has really good basketball skills might be an unbelievable catcher in the outfield. Or Zlatan is a great example, again, who Jimmy's written about, who's got a martial arts background, who has finished in ways in front of goal in football that you know, many other players are just not capable of doing because of that background of different movement patterns. So again, highly recommend um, that research review and also checking out Jimmy Vaughan's article in issue nine of the magazine, Catch Me If You Can, which, which talks about Brazil as a case study and that is fascinating. So a really interesting review. Uh, next up in terms of content, last month we had a couple of different video session plans come out and uh, I know you produced one and obviously I produced one as well. Yours was on defending to force out wide. So do you want to give us some insight into that practice and, and I guess the context around it? Yeah, so it was kind of like a, a squad practice, so using half a pitch um, and basically we were splitting the pitch into kind of three thirds um, and, and looking at defending in wide areas with kind of fullbacks against wingers and then in central areas with uh, central defenders against forwards and midfielders. So kind of ramping it up from, I suppose, part uh, part practices into kind of unit practices and, and turning it into a phase of play. So it was uh, one I've used with, with my players and, and gave lots of kind of repetition of pictures that 
fullbacks and wingers are going to see in games. So it's quite a simple way of doing that before you kind of lead into maybe that phase of play or that 11 v 11 practice. Yeah. Um, what was your practice about this month? My mind was called Breaking Lines, and uh, it, it pretty much did what it said on the packet. It was about looking for forward passes, looking for those those uh, passes, but at the right time. So working with a defensive team who was outnumbered, and as you know, I love an overload from a resilience and psychological perspective, and I guess problem solving as well. It was about the defensive team trying to solve the problem and prevent forward passes. So when I've delivered this session, I haven't explicitly said, this is how you need to defend. It's can you go and work out a way to defend what you have to. So there's progressions in there from um, a simple possession practice in terms of um, forward passes and finding the right moment through to using the clock and goals as extra motivation for the uh, defending team. So one that I'd recommend if you're looking to encourage players to take risks in terms of their forward passing. Um, other content that was produced uh, in May, we had a number of blogs and of course our Q&A which came out last, uh, last couple of weeks on statistics. So before we get to that, the other side of failure by Reid Maltby. I mean this blog for me was one that was really based around how athletes recover, how coaches recover from disappointments and, and building resilience. Highly recommend Reid's work and uh, everyone checking that blog out. Dan, you had a good read of Todd Bean's latest work, One Way to Improve Technique, which was a little bit of a clickbaity title there and, and one that grabbed attention of plenty of people and got lots of views. What was your takeaway from that blog? Yeah, I, I enjoy reading Todd's blogs because they're, they're um, like you said, they're always quite clickbaity or always quite um, go, in the, go in the face of maybe other, other people's views. Um, so this one was around improving technique, which I think every coach is looking to do, um, whatever a technique is. But he was talking about how important space is in football, how we manipulate space, how we use space as an individual, as a team to get success. That was the main takeaway from that one. And then the, the final blog this week was the uh, Q&A about mm. statistics. Yeah, look, I think that was a challenging question. And, and uh, again, there's, there's a video and podcast for this particular question. But the, the question was, what role do statistics play in youth development? And uh, we covered that one pretty comprehensively in the video conversation there in the podcast that we released. But uh, something that certainly divides opinion. And uh, there's a lot of, lot of things to weigh up when looking at where statistics and, and analysis fit in with youth development and how we can use those in a clever way. And, and I guess with context. So that pretty much brings us to the summary of all the content produced for May, a really busy month. And uh, of course, there's already been plenty of stuff come out in June, which we look forward to reviewing. Dan, any final thoughts from you in terms of some of the key content that came out last month? Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, another good mix of kind of the academic stuff, but also the practical stuff. I think Susie's a really good example of that. Somebody that clearly understands what they're talking about, but obviously working in an academy and working with kids kind of every week. So that that's kind of what we're all about, you know, connecting some of that research and, and putting it into real life. So that would be my main takeaway for this month. Definitely. Well, of course, all of our listeners and viewers, we recommend you head over to the website, click on the Join Now page, grab your membership, and you can access all of the content that we produce every month, uh, including all of the videos, research, session, and more. So head over there, get your membership. Dan, thanks for your time. Great to have you on board again for another wrap. No worries, mate. We'll look forward to another Player Development Project monthly wrap very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.